Well, good morning and welcome to Thursday. Nice to have your company, Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM. We're here till 9am, Australian Eastern Standard Time from 7 to 9am. A couple of hours live with uh, bite-sized chunks of the latest news for you, mixed in with some great music and, of course, the latest news. So, how do you be a part of the program? Well, you send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au and, of course, you can comment on the Facebook Facebook page, as many people have done in the last 24 hours. I don't know where to start today. There's lots to get through. Well, Craig Thompson. Dear, oh dearie me. Craig's life has gone, I think, from bad to worse. The former federal MP has been charged over alleged fraud of COVID-19 schemes. And it happened for him, unfortunately, on the same day that he appeared in court on alleged domestic violence charges. I'll get through that story for you. Also, Brian Houston has resigned from the Hillsong Church amid allegations the global pastor mistreated two women and ahead of a trial over charges, of course, that he hid his father's alleged child abuse. Yeah, that's a big story as well, and probably the biggest sporting story, not only here in Australia, but I reckon around the world, as tributes continue to roll in, Ash Barty. I have to say, I was shocked. I really was. She's only 25, you know. I mean, she's retired. She wants to go out on top. Why not? Uh, She's worth some 30-odd million dollars, so it's not as if she needs to necessarily continue playing tennis, but... Tributes were rolling in from across the world for Ash after her shock retirement announcement yesterday. Fellow competitors, including Simona Halep and Petra Kitova, were among those to express their shock at the 25-year-old Australian's sudden decision. Well, why? I'll go through some of her announcement and some of the responses, not only from tennis stars, but Uh, politicians and others right across, and also the uh, current Australian of the Year, Dylan Alcott. Look, Ash Barty, even though she has retired, there'll be no comeback, according to her at this stage, but even though she's announced her retirement, I believe that Ash Barty will forever be one of the very best role models for young people here in Australia forever. She was just amazing, not only on the tennis court, but off it as well. All right, so there's a few issues we're going to get through this morning. I'll get through some of your feedback as well. It's nice to have you company. It's a Thursday morning. By the way, a lot of rain on the way for the eastern coast of New South Wales and Queensland and down toward the Snowy Mountains and the ACT. I'll, I'll give you an update from the Weather Bureau as well. That's all coming up. Nice to have you company Thursday. Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back to the program on this Thursday, Marcus.Paul at Starter FM. That's my email. And of course, you can always comment on anything we place on the Facebook page. And lots of you have been commenting on all of the big news of the last 24 hours. Former federal MP Craig Thompson has been charged by police after allegedly using fraudulent documents to receive $25,000 from the state government's COVID-19 small business grants. Uh, 
Now, Mr. Thompson allegedly used falsified information and successfully applied for both the New South Wales Small Business COVID-19 Support Grant and the COVID-19 Small Business Hardship Grant. He also allegedly submitted a fraudulent application to receive $3,000 a fortnight in job saver payments, which were not approved or paid. Now, Mr. Thompson also allegedly signed and submitted a fraudulent document in an attempt to obtain a rent deduction. He will face the charges at Gosford Local Court. Um, Ongoing, he's been given bail today and he spoke to reporters for some eight minutes after his uh, court hearing and, and uh, you know, basically tried to outline his defence, if you like. Anyway, a statement from New South Wales Police, which didn't mention Mr Thompson by name, but reporters and, and journos like myself put two and two together. Uh, the police statement read, In November 2021, detectives from the State Crime Command's Financial Crime Squad and all Sydney metropolitan regions established Strike Force Sainsbury to investigate fraudulent applications made against New South Wales government financial relief schemes related to the COVID-19 pandemic and natural disasters. Following extensive inquiries, detectives travelled to Gosford Police Station following the arrest of a 57-year-old man on an unrelated matter. Now, that happened on Tuesday. The 57-year-old man, Craig Thompson. Now, in December, Strike Force Sainsbury arrested a 21-year-old man who was charged with 52 offences relating to alleged fraudulent applications for business grants totaling $530,000. So they're doing a good job. Now, at the time... The then Minister for Police and Emergency Services, David Elliott, vowed the new strike force would result in many arrests. He said at the time, and I remember I spoke to him on my program, bogus claims are a fraud against every person in New South Wales, especially those who've been doing it tough. Mr Elliott went on to say these types of schemes are intended to ease financial pressures outside of an individual's control like the pandemic, like natural disasters. They're not for fraudsters to treat themselves to a good time. He said, and I quote, we know that people are fed up with these types of crooks and this strike force will stop at nothing to bring them to justice. Well, it looks like they've caught someone, a big fish in the net, and that is former MP Craig Thompson. The former federal MP was arrested, as I say, after appearing in court on unrelated domestic violence charges. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, Thursday morning. Welcome back. Nice to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM, the iHeart TuneIn radio apps, and of course on the Prawncast. Uh, look, my apologies. I was a little slack this week in downloading the Prawncasts. Uh, have been a, a touch busy uh, doing a few extra things and some family issues going on as well. But I downloaded, uh, I think we're all up to date now. I downloaded or uploaded. What's the correct terminology? Anyway, they're up, and you can catch them on your favourite podcasting platform, okay? Uh, I think I had a a note from one of the listeners yesterday saying, what's going on? (laughs) There's nothing on Spotify. Well, there should be now, and thank you for letting me know. All right, Brian Houston. Well, we know who he is. He was the head, and well, up until yesterday, 
until his resignation, the head of the Hillsong Church. Now he's gone. Amid allegations, the global pastor mistreated two women and ahead, of course, of this upcoming trial over charges that he hid his father's alleged child abuse. In a statement on, uh, yeah, well, a statement yesterday, we would like to advise you that Pastor Brian Houston has resigned as global senior pastor of Hillsong Church and the board has accepted his resignation. We understand there will be much emotion at this news and we all share these feelings, said the statement. It goes on. Irrespective of the circumstances around this, we can all agree that Brian and his wife Bobby have served God faithfully over many decades and that their ministry has resulted in millions of people across the world being impacted by the power, grace and love of Jesus Christ. Well, that may well be true, but I think a lot of people may also be quietly celebrating Brian Houston's demise. Well, the Houstons founded Hillsong in 1983 in Sydney's western suburbs with churches now in 30 countries and an average global attendance of 150,000 weekly. That's according to its website. The resignation follows an apology issued by the church on Friday over allegations of Mr. Houston's conduct towards two women. Now, around about 10 years ago, Mr. Houston allegedly sent inappropriate text messages to a staff member while under the influence of sleeping tablets that he had become dependent on. It ended with the employee resigning, according to the board. Now, the second incident was reported to the church in 2019. According to the board, Mr. Houston became disoriented following a Hillsong conference and had consumed too much anti-anxiety medication mixed with alcohol when he knocked on the hotel room door and spent time with the female occupants. An investigation launched by the global board found Mr. Houston had breached the Hillsong pastor's code of conduct. On Friday, it said this person did not deserve to be placed in the situation she found herself in. The woman was refunded money she had donated to the church. Now, following that investigation, Mr. Houston stepped down from Hillsong leadership. But according to the board, he did not do all the agreed upon steps which have not been detailed by the church, and he remains suspended until yesterday's resignation. Now, Mr Houston is also, of course, before the courts in New South Wales, where he is set to face a three-week special hearing in December of this year on charges that he hid his father's alleged child abuse. In January, Mr Houston stepped down from all ministry responsibilities for the rest of the year, releasing a statement saying he welcomed the opportunity to, quote, set the record straight. The Hillsong Global Board yesterday said, quote, change is needed. Well, they're right. They're absolutely right. They said, we have committed to an independent review of our governance, structure and processes, understanding that this is a time of humble reflection and we are committed to doing what is necessary to ensure God is honoured and our eyes are fixed on Jesus, it said. All right, well, there we go. Brian Houston, he's gone, resigned from Hillsong. Of course, he was the founder and he is still yet to face those charges when he appears in court in December of this year.
that he hid his father's alleged child abuse. Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning on iHeart TuneIn Radio and of course starterfm.com.au. Well, sadly, her recovery teams have found no survivors so far after that passenger plane carrying 132 people crashed in southern China. Investigators also do not know why China Eastern Flight MU735 plummeted out of the sky in a terrifying nosedive on Monday. Video shared on social media showed the shocking moment the Boeing 737-800 nosedived into a mountain and burst into a fireball on impact. According to flight data, the jet had been in the air for more than an hour and was nearing its destination when it suddenly dropped from an altitude of 29,100 feet to 9,075 feet in just 2 minutes 15 seconds. Now, up till now, search and rescue work has not found any survivors. Given the information currently available, uh, authorities still do not have a clear assessment of the cause of the crash. And I saw last night on television news they were still searching frantically for the plane's black box. Apparently, air traffic controllers had repeatedly called the aircraft during its descent but had received no response. Many suggesting, um, that is, aviation experts, that perhaps as the plunge began, all those on board lost consciousness. Look, hopes of finding any survivors have all but vanished now after rescue crews arrived at the crash site yesterday morning, or late Tuesday night, yesterday morning, where they found parts of the Boeing 737 strewn across mountain slopes charred by fire. Burnt remains of identity cards, purses and wallets were also seen. And uh, that's one of the, the worst things. You know, when when rescue efforts turn into recovery efforts and at this point all they can find are, well, the burnt uh, identity cards and burnt remains of people's luggage, etc. The priority, as I said, will be to gather evidence from the crash site and the search continues for the black boxes, the flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder. Now, if they can be found and the data they obtain is readable, then the immediate cause of the crash could become apparent quite quickly. Investigators are expected to look at several possible causes, including deliberate action, pilot error or technical issues such as a structural failure or a mid-air collision. Now, Australian aviation editor Geoffrey Thomas has told media the way the aircraft nosedived vertically was very unusual. Whatever happened, he said it was catastrophic and very sudden, but there's no indication of exactly what caused the crash. There were no distress calls from the pilots. The plane was cruising at 29,000 feet or around 10 kilometres in the air, and it was just prior to its descent into its destination. Anyway, it's very tragic. Absolutely tragic. All right, well, as a result of this aviation disaster, Air China have grounded their entire fleets of 737-800s. And apparently, um, it is the first major crash for China Eastern, so it's not Air China, China Eastern Airlines. It's their first major crash in four decades. 
The safety standards in China are apparently very good. Of course they are, as they are here in Australia. Anyway, let's hope they can find the cause. Uh, They need to get the data, of course, from the black boxes and the cockpit voice recorder, and hopefully they'll be able to find those and get to the bottom of what caused this horrific tragedy that's led to so many deaths. A total number of 132 lost in this passenger plane that plummeted to the earth in southern China. Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning. I hope you've enjoyed the sunshine over the last week or so. We've had a bit of a reprieve from all that wet weather, but... Be aware, we're about to cop another drenching up to 100 millimetres or more is expected again to drench the New South Wales coastline, prompting flash flooding warnings. Yeah, we've had a bit of a reprieve from constant rain. We know what we've put up with in the last month or so, but a further 100 plus millimetres is expected to fall over Sydney and the east coast of New South Wales over the next four days. While the upcoming southerly change in trough, likely to be slow-moving at times, is different to the weather system the region recently endured, Uh, those in the know at the Weather Bureau say that people in already wet areas will still need to take extra care. The weather pattern is expected to move slowly over the Sydney, Central Coast, Mid-North Coast, North Coast, Hunter and Illawarra regions over the second half, well basically from today and into the early part of next week. The cool change, which basically arrived overnight, will see around 10 millimetres of rainfall on Sydney today. Other areas could receive up to 25 millimetres per day, even the tail end of the predicted storm on Monday, expecting to produce some 15 millimetres of rain. The Bureau are warning people to regularly check weather warnings and, of course, the forecasts. The localised rain dumps expected are more likely to cause flash flooding than river flooding, which caused much of the recent flood damage. So that's at least one good thing. However, those in river regions are warned to take additional care as already wet conditions make river rises more likely than usual, we're told. Even though river flooding is not predicted to rise above minor flood levels, people in the Central Coast, Mid-North Coast, North Coast and the Illawarra are being warned to take extra care around river areas. Now, Morgan Pumper, that's a great name, Morgan Pumper, from the Weather Bureau, says for parts in the northeast, these areas that are already wet, the soils are wet, so flash flooding and river rises here are more likely than usual. With severe thunderstorms come damaging winds and falling trees, of course, are also a possibility, according to the Bureau. Now, Mr. Pomper <laughs> said, this is different to the previous weather that we saw. Last time it was a low pressure system and an east coast low. This time it's a trough moving along the coastal areas and being slow moving at times. So it won't be as widespread, but it still could cause some flash flooding with localised heavy falls. Gee, I hope not. I really hope not. All right, well... Let's see what happens over the next couple of days. 
Meanwhile, this new forecast comes as an inquiry has been announced into the handling of the state's recent flood crisis. Former New South Wales Police Commissioner Mick Fuller and New South Wales Chief Scientist and Engineer Mary O'Kane will head this inquiry. Acting Premier Paul Toole announced the independent inquiry to investigate the causes of preparedness for response to and recovery from the catastrophic flood events. There has been, as you know, widespread criticism of the handling of the crisis after people were left stranded on roofs in Lismore in the state's northeast, which was inundated with the record 14.37 metre flood on February the 28th. Many people ended up being rescued by fellow residents on private watercraft. We lost nine people who died in the floods. Thousands lost their homes and many were uninsured because of the high cost of premiums. So the inquiry, according to AAP, will report on the causes of and factors contributing to the frequency, intensity, timing and location of floods, as well as the preparation and planning by agencies and the community for floods. It will apparently scrutinise the emergency response, particularly measures to protect life, property and the environment. The inquiry will also probe the transition from incident response to recovery, including housing, cleanup, financial support, community engagement and longer-term community rebuilding. Now, the inquiry could make recommendations on the safety of emergency services and community emergency responders, as well as on future land use planning and management and building standards as well in flood-prone areas. It will recommend actions to adopt or adapt rather to future flood risks for communities as well as coordination and collaboration between all levels of government. Alrighty, Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, the biggest sporting story of the year dropped yesterday and it was a bombshell. Tell me it's not true. Ash Barty retiring at only 25? Anyway, some details on that in just a couple of moments. I have a slight inkling. Um, I know why I'm here. Probably don't want to acknowledge it, but why am I here today? Um, Yeah, I kind of wasn't quite sure how I was going to do this, but I think so many times in my life, both my professional and my personal, you've been there for me. Um, And I just couldn't think there's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's just my way. And this is perfect for me to share it with you, to talk to you about it um, with my team, my loved ones, that I'll be retiring from tennis. And it's the first time I've actually said it out loud. And um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. But I'm so happy and I'm so ready and I just know at the moment in my heart for me as a person, this is right. And um, I know I've, I've done this before, um, but in a very different feeling. And I'm so grateful to everything that tennis has given me. It's given me all of my dreams plus more. But I know that the time is right now for, for me to step away and chase other dreams um, and, yeah, and to, to put the rackets down. Yep, you heard right. I couldn't believe it either. Imagine being at the top of your game, only being 25 years of age, the world's number one tennis player for females and then packing it all in. It was a shock. It was certainly the biggest news sports story around the globe. And tributes rolled in from everywhere. 
for Ash Barty, our own Ash Barty, after her shock retirement announcement yesterday. Fellow competitors, including Simona Halep and Petra Kivdova, were among those to express their shock at the 25-year-old's sudden decision. Ash, I have no words. Actually, you are showing your true class, leaving tennis in this beautiful way. That came from Kidova, who's the world or former world number two. I'm so happy I could share the court with you. Tennis will never be the same without you. I admire you as a player and a person wishing you only the best. Former world number one, Simona Halep said she would miss the world's reigning top player on the women's tour. You know I have tears, right? You were different and special and we shared some amazing moments. Dear oh dearie me. What's next for Ash? Well, it's a question that Barty left many asking with her sudden announcement via social media yesterday. She said, Today is difficult and filled with emotion for me as I announce my retirement from tennis. The reigning Australian Open and Wimbledon champion said in an interview with close friend Casey Delacqua posted on Instagram, I'm so thankful for everything this sport has given me and I leave feeling proud and fulfilled. Thank you to everyone who has supported me along the way. I'll always be grateful for the lifelong memories that we created together. I've looked at all of the tweets. Andy Murray writes, Happy for Ash Barty, gutted for tennis. What a player. And Dylan Alcott. Of course, we know Dylan's tennis prowess. He's the current Australian of the Year. He wrote... Ash Barty, amazing tennis player, but even better person. A champion in every sense of the word. Very proud of you. While other tributes came from political leaders, with Prime Minister Scott Morrison praising Barty as an inspiration to the nation. He said yesterday, I want to say thank you to Ash for inspiring the country, inspiring a nation, and at a time when this country really needed it. None of us will forget the triumphant win at Wimbledon and none of us will ever forget that incredible comeback at the Australian Open this year, which once again showed everybody what one can do when you really apply yourself. Opposition leader Anthony Albanese tweeted that Barty was an inspiration, a magician on the court, a champion of Wimbledon and the Australian Open world number one. As you climbed to the very top, you lifted us all. Well, Ash is expected to hold a media conference today where she will further flesh out her reasons and her plans for the future. She told Delacqua in yesterday's video, it's hard to say, but I'm so happy and I'm so ready. And I just know at the moment in my heart for me as a person, this is right. Look, it's not the first time, but it's probably the last time that Ash Barty has walked away from tennis. The three-time Grand Slam champion took a 16-month sabbatical after a first-round loss at the 2014 US Open. But unlike then, when she was a homesick teenager, this time Barty says she's quitting for good. She said, I will be retiring from tennis. It's the first time I've said it out loud and it's hard to say, but I'm so happy and I'm so ready. Well, there we go. Last time she stopped playing, Barty played professional crickets for the Brisbane Heat, remember that, in the WBBL. She also, she is also a recent club champion at Brisbane's Brookwater Golf Club. That's where she met her fiancé and PGA trainee pro Gary Kissick. Now, 
Both Barty's parents were state amateur golf representatives as well, so she comes from good stock. Whatever it is she seems to pursue, uh, she excels at. But Barty's tennis legacy is, is secure. There's no doubt about that. Two weeks after winning the French Open in 2019, Barty became the first Australian woman to reach the world number one ranking since her mentor and Indigenous idol Yvonne Goolagong 43 years earlier. She followed that up, of course, with victory at the 2019 WTA Finals and in doing so pocketed 6.4 million US dollars, the biggest check in tennis history. Her crowning glory came last year at Wimbledon before Barty defied intense pressure and expectations from home fans to win the Australian Open this year. Retirement is something I've been thinking about for a long time and I've had a lot of incredible moments in my career that have been pivotal moments. Wimbledon last year changed a lot uh, for me as a person and for me as an athlete. And on she went. Wow. She will be missed. Barty leaves the sport having held the top ranking for 114 weeks, the eighth longest tenure in history behind only all-time greats including Steffi Graf, Martina Navratilova, Serena Williams, Chris Evert, Martina Hingis, Monica Sellers and Justine Hennan. Well, I look forward to hearing more from Ash Barty today, but it doesn't matter what she pursues, I'm sure she'll be successful at it and she will always in my book be an absolute perfect role model for people right across Australia. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. Nice to have you company on this Thursday morning. Marcus Paul in the morning, live on starterfm.com.au, the iHeartRadio app, and of course, tune in as well. And later on in the day, the prawncast drops on your favourite podcasting platform. Well, Gareth Ward survives at this stage, but I'm pretty sure the embattled MP, uh, MP who's facing criminal charges will most likely be gone by the end of the year. But yesterday we learned he will remain in Parliament despite the New South Wales Premier and the Deputy Premier as well demanding his immediate removal. Now, the former Liberal frontbencher is facing three charges of alleged historic sexual assault involving two males, one of them a 17-year-old boy. Now, Mr Ward has maintained his innocence and denies the allegations. When the charges were announced, and I told you, New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet at the time vowed to remove Mr Ward from Parliament if he did not resign. Well, it's pretty obvious Gareth isn't going to resign. But less than 24 hours later, acting Premier Paul Toole changed tack in Parliament yesterday. Mr Toole asked for Mr Ward to be suspended until the end of his criminal trial. The member for Kiama will continue to receive pay at this stage, although the government has sought advice on whether his salary can be taken away. Meanwhile, New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell announced yesterday that Mr Ward would be banned from making visits to schools. Mr Ward has declared that he is completely innocent, of course, after being charged with three counts of assault with active indecency and one count each of sexual intercourse without consent and common assault. Now, Mr Ward has indicated he will not stand down and will defend the charges. The 40-year-old attended Oak Flats Police Station at around midday on Tuesday where he was charged 
and then granted conditional bail out of a court appearance on May 18. Now, police will allege in court that Mr Ward indecently assaulted a 17-year-old boy at Maroo Meadow, which is down in the Southern Highlands, in February 2013, and also sexually abused a 27-year-old man in Sydney in September of 2015. Mr Ward, in a statement, said that he was completely innocent of the charges brought against him. He said, I will be instructing my lawyers to seek to bring this matter before the courts as quickly as possible, and I look forward to demonstrating my innocence there. Well, we'll watch this space. Now, speaking of Paul Toole, the Deputy Premier of the state, he yesterday took aim at protesters who for the second day in a row disrupted the Port Botany Terminal in Sydney. Yeah, again, they've been at it, uh, these disruptive protesters. I've spoken to them before on my, my program, Blockade Australia, or as some sections of the media like to call them, Blockheads Australia. I understand their point that they're trying to make, and, you know, it's important that we get governments to ensure that they take climate change seriously. However, I and I remember speaking to, oh, I can't remember the exact names of at least two protesters. I spoke to one during the terminal blockade up there in Newcastle. I spoke to her live on air as she was dangling over one of the trains, uh, which brought you know that to a halt. Uh, my understanding is that it cost the, uh, the operator up there some $300,000 in lost revenue. And again, today, with uh, the suspension of, uh, you know, these activists high in the air above uh, traffic, including those big trucks carrying containers. Well, I just think it's the wrong way to go about it. Some may argue it's, well, it's not, Marcus, because look at the, the publicity. You're talking about them. They've been on the news and, you know, they, they're getting publicity for their cause. But why do these people need to disrupt everyday people going about their working lives. That's what concerns me. You know, uh, these truckies uh, are paying a fortune, if you like, for their petrol, and they're sitting there, the gas guzzlers, idling, waiting for hours while police remove these protesters. I don't think it's fair on them. I understand the cause, and I support the cause. Absolutely. I want action on climate as well. And I want to transition to more renewable energy, and I want an end to coal, eventually. Uh, but until that happens, do we need uh, these Blockade Australia people being so disruptive? I'd love to get your thoughts on it on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back Thursday morning. Look, I haven't spoken a lot yet about this uh, new Omicron variant, BA2. In fact, I haven't spoken a lot about COVID-19 on the new program mainly because there's been so many other news stories around and, you know, the all of the harshest restrictions have been eased. I mean, not many people are getting around with masks anymore. But as Omicron BA2 subvariant sparks COVID-19 infection surges around the world, the question probably should be asked, how worried should we be here in Australia? A subvariant of Omicron BA2 
is leading to a new wave of COVID-19 infections across Australia and the rest of the world. Cases in the UK, Germany, the Netherlands, the US, across Asia and other countries are soaring, driven by this very contagious coronavirus strain. Now, Australia is no exception. On Tuesday, Queensland health authorities pointed to the rapid spread of the BA2 variant among young people for a 15% rise in case numbers over the past week, while New South Wales Health also noted the variant making up an increasing proportion of new infections there. And last week, Victorian health authorities noted the sub-variant was turning up in half of the state's wastewater samples. The rise of the sub-variant comes at a time that many restrictions, as you know, are being lifted and wound back. So how worried should people be about this new BA2 variant? Will vaccines protect against it? What if someone contracted a previous variant? Could they become reinfected? Is BA2 milder than previous versions? And if so, should people try to get it? Should or could BA2 cause another surge? And is it time for restrictions to be put back in place? Well, I certainly hope not. Well, what do we know about BA2 and how worried should we be? Well, with any new variant or sub-variant, we need to ask three questions. Is it more contagious? Does it cause more severe disease? And does it evade the protection of our our vaccines? BA2 is related to BA1, which is the original Omicron sub-variant that led to the huge surge in cases over the winter in the United States and across Europe. BA1 swept through communities because of how contagious it is. BA2, however, appears to be even more contagious than BA1. UK Health Authorities estimate that BA2 is growing 80% faster than BA1 in the US as well. BA2 appears to be on its way to be overtaking BA1 to become the dominant variant. But the good news is that the new variant, BA2, does not seem to cause more severe illness. Researchers from the UK and Denmark have found BA2 causes a level of hospitalisation that's comparable to that of BA1, which is less likely to result in severe illness than the previously dominant Delta strain. In addition, the vaccines that we have are still effective. While vaccination may not protect as well against infection with BA1 and BA2, the effectiveness in that regard is partially restored with a booster dose. And the vaccines continue to provide very good protection against severe illness due to both Omicron subvariants. What all of this is basically saying is that public health experts should follow the rise of BA2 closely, but most people should not be worried. Most people who are vaccinated, and in particular, if they are boosted, are unlikely to become severely ill due to BA2. And this is something that the general public shouldn't be overly concerned about at this time. And that comes from a couple of scientists who I haven't said their names here, but I basically quoted what they've been saying. What about travel plans? Does all this mean people can proceed with travel plans or do they need to postpone them? Well, the health experts are saying, I don't think travel plans need to be put on hold. To be sure, there is uncertainty as some places might have low rates of COVID-19 now, but may have increased rates when you travel or where you travel. However, that may be the case for the foreseeable future. Very few activities 
that we do have no risk. Travelling certainly entails risk, but you can reduce that risk by making sure you are vaccinated and boosted. Also, wearing a mask in crowded indoor settings further reduces the risk. If you're planning international travel, know the rules, including whether you have to have proof of vaccination or recent negative tests in your country of arrival. All right, well, on it goes. But we just need to be vigilant, but not overly concerned about this new variant, BA2. If someone previously had Omicron, are they protected against BA2? Well, the World Health Organization has said that infection with BA1 continues to provide protection against BA2. Reinfection with BA2 after having BA1 is apparently rare. So that is good news. Omicron, of course, is a milder variant than previous variants. In that case, should people try to contract BA2 just to get it over with? In general, it's not a good strategy, according to the health experts. Yeah, I can't believe that people would want to, you know, get COVID just to have it over and done with. Anyway, uh, that's just some of the latest on this new sub-variant. It's all a little confusing, but I think, you know, again... Where you can, I've always said this, talk to your doctor about your vaccination status, but uh, where you can, socially distance, wear a mask, particularly on public transport, and just look after yourself. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, well, that's about it for our show on this Thursday, the 24th day of March. If you've missed any of the earlier bits, of course, there'll be a Prawncast podcast up a little later uh, on RSS and, of course, your favourite podcasting platform. If you would like to comment on any of the stories that I brought up this morning on the uh, maybe maybe you'd like to chat about Ash Barty or send me a note about her or the new BA2 Omicron strain of COVID that... Uh, you know, we need to be vigilant about but not overly concerned or whatever it is that's on your mind. Make sure you, you either comment on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning, or if you prefer, you can send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Enjoy the rest of the day here on Starter. I, I hope to catch up with you again tomorrow morning as we do the live show between 7 and 9 on weekday mornings. Until then, try and stay dry if you're in that... Uh, rain-affected areas of Sydney, the East Coast, all the way up again to the Northern Rivers and down into the Illawarra. Stay dry, stay safe, and we'll chat again tomorrow. Bye for now. Marcus Paul in the morning. (laughs) 